You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Hello, and welcome to our first ever monthly roundup episode. As longtime listeners of the show will know, we here at Transform Talks are always looking for new and innovative ways to grow and transform our podcast. Part of that commitment involves experimenting with new content ideas. And some of our regular listeners will no doubt have noticed that we've revamped the show's format, as well as having introduced a new recurring feature for this year, which we're calling Maria's Book Club. We wanted to take things a step further, so we've decided that moving forward, we're going to be bringing you an additional monthly roundup episode at the end of each month. During these episodes, and as the title suggests, I'm going to be looking back at the best moments from the month. My plan is to also bring you some of my own reflections on the latest things going on in the industry and in the broader world. Speaking of which, March ended up being a very significant month. Not only did we celebrate International Women's Day, as well as St. Patrick's Day here in the UK, but we also saw our Chancellor lay out his plan for the future of the country via the announcement of his new spring budget. Incidentally, March also turned out to be a significant month for the podcast. All in all, we released a total of five episodes, which included a very special International Women's Day edition of Transform Talks. So without further ado, let's get started. So we started off the month by speaking with Max Liegenhardt and Danielle van der Ende from Visual Fabric. I invited the pair onto the show to discuss the recent price rises we're seeing. During the episode, we ended up exploring how manufacturers and retailers can find a win-win situation. And... As you will hear shortly, Max believes that part of this involves companies moving away from focusing solely on volume growth and focusing instead on finding a price point that meets the needs of everyone. Yes. Well, inevitably, due to the world situation right now, um, we're going to be facing price increases. Now, what is ultimately important is that you look at the profitability of your organization. But in the past years, we were also constantly looking at volume growth. And that volume growth now comes to kind of a standstill due to uh, the cox increases that we are seeing in the market. So the question now is to the retailers and to the manufacturers, can you find a win-win situation where you still can grow, where you still can satisfy the consumer needs, but at a price point that makes sense for everybody, for the consumer, for the retailer, but also for the manufacturer. And this is something that we see companies struggling big time because they were, in the past years, pretty much, um, well, treated easily uh, because the market was growing and growing and growing. But now we're facing a different time. I really love Max's outlook on this. After all, he is right. The circumstances around the globe have changed, which means our approaches also have to change. My hope is that manufacturers and retailers are able to come together in the next few months and figure out the best way forward. Next up, we have an excerpt from our special International Women's Day episode. This one was a tough one to pick because it's hard to pick just one section from that show. But I've decided to go with the moment Louisa Loran opens up on the challenges of being both a mom and a leader 
and why, with the help of technology, she's now able to do both very successfully. I would say I do believe I'm a good example. I'm a leader. I'm defining uh, certain parts of Google's product strategy. I'm defining our uh, industry solutions. I'm working with the biggest companies across the world. And I'm at home in Denmark, the smallest corner of the world. And I'm at home because I have two kids. They're 10 and 12. They need their mom. I'm divorced, so they're here every second week. I can't live in California one week and one week here. But I'm able to connect with people everywhere around the world. Of course, I travel occasionally. But technology has enabled collaboration in a whole other way. And therefore, it is possible to both be a caring mom who is present and engages in life and even extracurricular activities while also being driven. Now, as we know, there's an old adage that working in logistics is tough, especially for those based in the warehouses, because employees are often subjected to working long hours and tasked with monotonous and repetitive jobs. My next guest, Martin Bish, is the co-founder of Hubu, and he believes that this is no longer the way that it has to be. In fact, he posits that the industry has a moral obligation to create decent jobs for people which, as I learned during the episode, involves implementing a culture of fairness, openness, and collaboration. Because, as Martin explains, not only are happy employees more productive, but the figures show that it also makes sense from a financial perspective. Well, it's only mindset. I mean, if you don't, if you don't want to make this work, you're not going to, because it would be really difficult. It was incredibly difficult to build this from the ground up and to get it to work. I would say it took about three years to make this model work, where, where we really had a, um, the kind of quality that we wanted. Um, the challenge when you're doing it top down in a business that, that well it has a day job. H- how do you how do you do this whilst it does its day job? Although honestly, I'm not I'm not sure that you can easily. I think you might have to do it piecemeal, building entirely new warehouses, implementing new processes, and gradually migrating over to them whilst you continue to run the day to day processes, because the, the two won't coexist. Um, what you can't do is take a handful of the staff and give them a great job whilst everybody around them sort of flounders and suffers. So I don't really have the answer for that. Our, our conclusion was that it needed to be it needed to be from the ground up, or it was simply going to be too too difficult to achieve. Now that doesn't mean people shouldn't try to, because I think there's a there's a moral obligation to try to create decent jobs for people, and the fulfillment industry isn't doing that. But I also argue there's an economic obligation. They're running businesses. They have an obligation to shareholders. And when I look at when I look at the margins that we're capable of, it is for various reasons, but the, the single largest reason is the cost of staff. If we aren't churning at 15 to 30%, we aren't expending vast amounts of money constantly hiring. We aren't filling the warehouse with temporary staff that can cost as much as 60% more. We get typically 20 to 25% greater productivity out of happy people that are expert because they've been in the role for, for you know, a number of months or years, which again is typically not the case in other warehouses. So I think there is that obligation, but even if that's not something that concerns them, there's a massive economic obligation to shareholders, you know, and to themselves to make that work. I do think it would be difficult. It would take tremendous commitment. So, so to sort of start where, where, where you ended your question, where I began my answer, it's got to begin with that mindset that requires complete conviction. We have to make this work because it's going to be tough. Before we move on, if you're thinking to yourself, I would really love to listen back to the full episodes that I'm referring to, then don't worry. We've included all of the details to the full episodes in the description. Okay, during International Women's Day episode, I drew parallels between diversity and sustainability. 
The reason I did that was because I believe that both subjects are often spoken about in, you know, such esoteric terms. As I put it then, everyone knows that we need to be making moves to improve in these areas, but they either don't act on it or simply don't know how to act on it. Dana van der Heide had a very simple answer when addressing the issue of diversity. Rather remarkably, Abdelaziz Salah also had a very similar mindset when looking at how we should go about operationalizing sustainability. You know, uh, Maria, I think if I look at, you know, uh, the many years we've worked in, uh, around sustainability and, and to improve or reduce our impact on the planet, I, I always, and I still is a big firm believer that if you do good for the environment, it will do good back to you. Uh, I, I believe in that in my heart. So I think when we talk about how do we operationalize our sustainability journey into supply chain, I would always have one answer is start. Some people get stuck on reporting, they get stuck on measuring. Yeah. And I think absolutely, we have to move into that direction everywhere. And we have to measure and reduce our impact um, as we move forward as supply chain. But I would challenge people and say, have we started our journey to reduce our waste? For example, have we started our journey uh, to um, to change our electricity into green sources of electricity? For example, have we um, started looking at different transportation modes. You know, you can always get stuck behind, well, we don't know how much we, uh, let's say, we impact on the environment and, and, you know, and end up in endless um, Excel sheets as we usually like to, and with, of course, uh, many consultants. Uh, but I will always say we need to start and we need to get going and we need to be practical. And as Emily said, we have um, sustainability targets uh, for everyone in the organization. And uh, no matter, some of them are small, of course, some of them are bigger. Um, but I think if everyone contributed in one way or the other, uh, we would definitely be moving this agenda much faster uh, in the corporate world. And finally, I closed out the month by speaking with Tanya Jackson from Lexmark. Tanya is someone I've wanted to have on Transform Talks for some time now, so I'm really happy that we finally managed to get her on the show. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're running a new recurring feature this year, which we're calling Maria's Book Club. Every week, I ask my guests to name a book that has had a huge impact in their professional or in their personal lives. And I have to say that I've been blown away by the positive reaction of both the guests and the listeners to this new feature. I bring this up because I've decided to end this monthly round of episode by looking back at Tanya's answer. As you'll soon see, her answer is exactly the reason why we decided to introduce such a feature into the show. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two books, but one is just a, just a uh, what do you call it, a uh, public service announcement for my. I'm, I'm a grandmother. This year's I might have first grandson ever. So one of the books that I love is uh, is called A Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. I read it to my kids. It's about a caterpillar that emerged into a, into a butterfly. So that's just a, a meaningful book to me. From a business side, I like. Um, it's Good to Great uh, with Jim, I think it's by Jim Collins. And the reason I like it, uh, Maria, is because about th the, the piece that I cling to, I would say, that I, that I talk about is the people aspect. And that's like make sure you have the right people on the bus and the people on the bus are in the right seats, that you put the people either where they are, you know, where their talent lies or where you think they need to, they, they can grow to. And if you have the right people, and I, and I, I, I believe we have the right people in this organization and certainly the right people in, on, on the team that's been through so much. 
then the what is whatever. Like, just, just bring it on. So I, I like the aspect of spending the time, because you have to take time to figure out the right people and where they need to be. And I think that's a big part of how we survive, because we, we had the right people. The, the world collapsed around us, but I think the people were in the right, we had the right people, they were in the right spot, and they just knocked it out. So that, that's, um, that's kind of why I like that particular book. So that's it for our first ever monthly roundup episode. We'll be back next month with our roundup for April. Before I let you go, I just want to thank each and every single one of you for listening to the show this past month. As I mentioned earlier, our goal is to continue to grow this show. And I'm very aware that this won't happen without your support. So you know what? Any feedback and any comments that you might have on content ideas will be greatly appreciated. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks to stay up to date with the latest developments. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me for, by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I might let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great month ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.